listening to episode 29 of the Self-Care Sunday podcast, a minimalist media project by Kaylee Reed. Every Sunday, only on Sundays, I'll release a new podcast episode exploring topics like mental health, creativity, entrepreneurship, and of course, self-care. This episode is a little bit different than some of my usual episodes. I'm interviewing one of my closest friends, Alexandra Van Ryn, also known as Addie or Alexandra the Optimist on Instagram, and she is the first recurring interviewee on the podcast. Addie was episode number three, and if you haven't heard that episode already, you should definitely go listen because we talk all about Addie's mental health journey and how the two of us met, and it will give you more context into this episode. We recorded that first interview in December of 2017, and this interview is up now, August 2018. It will be September by the time that this episode goes live, so a lot has changed in both of our lives in that time frame. Addie now works for Shopify as a guru, so she helps entrepreneurs build their online stores. She's also recently moved to Calgary. And some of you may or may not know that I'm also making the move to Calgary this fall. I haven't talked too much about it yet, but I'm really excited to be going back to my home province after living away for seven years, which is so wild. This episode's a little bit different because Addie and I really just had a genuine conversation catching up. Uh, I've only seen her a couple times since being back in Calgary and starting the whole moving process. And so this is kind of an inside scoop to one of our conversations. Uh, We are really comfortable with each other, and I think that shows in this episode. So I hope you enjoy this kind of different format. It's a little bit less formal than my usual interviews. I also want to mention that from minutes 1837 to 2324, Addie and I talk about a sugar-free cleanse that she did for 30 days. And if you are struggling with disordered eating or you think that hearing talk of this might be triggering in some, some sense to you, feel free to just skip over those minutes of the conversation. We don't go too in-depth with anything and I myself have lived experience with an eating disorder, um, but I do just want to mention that in case that's something that might affect you. Addie did this uh, for her own mental health improvement actually as well as for physical health reasons, which she's going to talk about in this episode. But again, that's from minutes 1837 to 2324. Aside from that, in this episode, we both talk about moving to Calgary, a lot of lessons that we've learned. Addie shares some of her dating stories after going on nearly 50 first dates in a new city, which is so interesting to me. We also talk about mental health advocacy, what it's like to be a mental health advocate but no longer work in the mental health advocacy world, and we talk about how to grieve after losing a friend. Now let's get into the episode. Addie, you are my first guest that has come on the show twice. How do you feel about that? Very honored. Thank you so much for having me. 
Um, it's funny because we were talking about the last episode that we did together, and I thought it was like a year ago that we did that, but it actually wasn't that long ago. It no. was only like eight months or something. Yeah, something like that. But it feels like we were in a completely different place yeah. in our lives. <laughs> uh, I was living in Montreal. I still kind of am, but not really. You were living in Fredericton. You've since moved to Calgary, and during that episode... It was kind of sad because we had both just left Wear Your Label, and I think we were both kind of still grieving that experience. And we didn't really talk about that in the episode, and I don't want to talk about it today, but looking back on like that weekend that you visited, I just feel like we were both so sad. And now, seeing you, I feel like we're both in an actually really healthy and happy place in our lives. Am I wrong? No, I totally agree. And when I booked that trip to Montreal last time to come see you, it was literally because... We were both sad. It was like, let's have a trip. Let's hang out for a weekend and boost our moods. (laughs) And now you're moving to Calgary and I'm living in Calgary. I know. Yeah. And I haven't even really talked about moving to Calgary yet. I'll probably do an episode on that whole thing once I move. But you moved here six months ago. You've been living here for six Mm. months. Why did you move from (laughs) Fredericton? Um, So the reason that I started planning a move to Calgary was for a boy, which is ridiculous. Um, I mean, he was one of the many reasons why I wanted to leave New Brunswick, I guess I could say. I want to leave New Brunswick more than I want to come to Calgary, I think is like Mm. what I was thinking of. Um, Yeah, I was in a long distance relationship and he moved to Calgary and I was like, well, I work remotely now. Let's try and move to Calgary. (laughs) Had you ever been to Calgary before? I had visited him here once. Okay. But what I really wanted, there's a lot of things about Calgary that I loved and that I wanted to come here to experience. It was a bigger city than Fredericton, New Brunswick, but it wasn't huge like Vancouver or Toronto. So I thought it would be a really good starter city. Um, We get these things called Chinooks, which is really great. So it's like warm, like throughout the winter. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so I, even though I work remotely, I still have to apply for a move. So I applied for a move with HR. And my boyfriend at the time broke up with me like three days before I got approved. So for three days, I had this like moment where I was like, should I revoke my move? Should I still go with it? And I pretty much just threw my hands up in the air and said, fit, let's see what happens. I need to bleep you. Oh no, I'm so sorry. (laughs) It's okay, keep going. (laughs) So um, yeah, so I moved to Calgary. I had about two weeks to pack my bags and find an apartment and it all worked out really, really well. It was like probably one of the best decisions that I've ever had Mm -hmm. um, to move out here just fully on a whim and see what happens. The first couple weeks, I was like kind of wary of it. I wasn't sure if it was like really the right decision. And I went to see a tarot card reader who, his name is Frank. (laughs) If you're in the Calgary area, he's on 17th Ave. He's great. But he actually like laid out the cards and was like, you can't regret this decision. This was the best decision that you needed. He even said that my ex was like a vehicle to get me here, which was really interesting to hear. So after that experience, I was like, you know what? There's no guilt. There's no reason to feel badly about moving here. He was just the vehicle. And you have done a lot of dating in this city (laughs) since moving. I have. I want to talk about it because, one, I think it's, like, funny. I think you have some really good dating stories. Um, Anybody who doesn't follow Addy on Instagram, 
you definitely should because she has some really funny like Tinder and Bumble stories. Why did you decide to go all out on dating and also like explain that whole process of signing up for apps and like why you are like in a dating mode right now? So when I lived in Fredericton, dating was really annoying. There wasn't enough people on dating apps and there really just wasn't, for me at least, there wasn't enough people who were actively dating that were really sparking my interest. Yeah. So then moving here. It's a here, small selection. There's a, it's <laughs> slim pickings. Um, yeah. So when I moved here, it was really cool because I was matching with a lot more people that I really liked and that I wanted to meet up with and just really more people in general. So I kind of just, it started with like just Bumble. I really was into Bumble for a while. I didn't love Tinder, but then I got Tinder and Tinder was fun. And I've kind of been like trying out new dating apps. I think it's a really great experience, especially when you're like, gone through a breakup to go Mm -hmm. on dates with new people not to sleep with them not to like start a new relationship right away just to go out and meet people working from home and moving here on a whim I knew probably like two people in the city total so going on dating apps and like meeting up with people for coffee and stuff was really I would say one of the best options when you move to a new city is to go on dating apps and meet up with people because it's just so easy and you learn a lot about the city too learn a lot about stampede (laughs) Um, and (laughs) other Calgary favorites. You've gone on a lot of dates. Like how many dates have you gone on since you've been here? I think about 50 first dates that I've been on. I have like this, maybe this is like too much information. (laughs) No, I love it. But I I have a little notebook, um, and like a couple weeks into moving here, I decided to start writing down little notes on everybody that I went on dates with. And I feel like this could be a movie. (laughs) I need to write about this. Yeah. So, um, have you had any horror stories? I feel comfortable saying this was a pretty bad date because I got two (laughs) apology texts the next day on it. But I met up with this guy when I first moved to the city. We matched on Bumble, and we started following each other on Instagram. And I like was had the biggest crush on this guy. He was like in a band. He had tattoos. He was super cool. And so finally we met up. Um, I'm a really big fan of like impromptly asking people on dates. <laughs> so I'll be like, hey, we should go on a date in an hour. <laughs> and um, he was like, okay, but you should know I've had like a couple beer. And I was like, yeah, that's no problem. Like whatever. So we went, um, we met up at like four o'clock in the afternoon and he was like wasted. At four o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so he was super wasted. He kept getting the hiccups. Um, but they were really intense hiccups and I thought he was going to throw up on me. (laughs) He didn't throw up on me. So the illusion of this guy that you had like a major Instagram crush on was kind of shattered. Totally. And he, I love Jack White, the musician, and he (laughs) hates Jack White. And he like went on a rant about how much he hates Jack White. And it was like a whole thing. And then, um, so he was quite drunk, like, throughout the date. And then we got the bill, and I insisted on paying it because the waiter had been dealing with us. It was, he was, like, visibly drunk. Like, mm-hmm. so I decided to um, take the bill because I wanted to tip the waiter really well. And he was like, no, 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 I'll take it. I was like, no, 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 <laughs> I'm going to take it. So I took the bill, paid the waiter, he walks away. And then the guy goes, you know what your f- problem is? Sorry, you're going to have to bleep me again. <laughs> it's okay. And I said, what? What's my problem? And he was this like, is, your date said this? Yes. <laughs> to, oh my God, yeah. okay. He's like, you just have to loosen up. <gasps> like, you're just so uptight and da, da, da. And I don't think he, like, realized how he was, like, affecting the environment. Because I was feeling uncomfortable because he was, like, quite drunk. After we paid the bill, we got along a little bit better after that, I guess. We, like, bonded over having anxiety disorders. 
which was cool because oh I was visibly shaking. Like I was like, oh my oh. God, this is crazy. And he was like, why are you shaking? And I was like, oh, I have social anxiety and this is a nightmare. <laughs> and then he, he bought me a tequila shot. Oh my God. And then I left. I was like texting you and Kelsey the yeah, whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so funny. So, okay. That's an interesting segue. Social anxiety and dating. I feel like somebody who is really anxious about being in social situations is maybe not the type of person that you would expect to go on 50 first dates in a new city. (laughs) So how, like what, tell me about all of this together. Like why? Yeah, that's a great (laughs) question. Um, So on the last podcast, we talked like all about my mental health journey and stuff. So essentially like when I started getting help for my anxiety disorders, I kind of made this decision to like stay, to like stay and live my life. I'm not trying to like sugarcoat that or anything, but like just that was like my decision to keep living my life. Mm. And with that, I kind of also made this promise to myself to like live life to the fullest. And I have this mantra that is you want this more than you're afraid of it. And I apply that every Mm. time to dating. I like that a lot. Because it could be like you have no idea what it's going to be until you experience that date or that event or whatever it is. So for me, it's like, it's almost second nature to do the scary thing and like jump feet first into it now mm-hmm. because before it was like, I'm never going to do that. I'm not going to go on a date. I'm not going to do X, Y, Z. And now it's like, well, let's jump head first into it and see what happens. What's the worst that can happen? I also listened to a really interesting, I think it was a Ted talk and it was all on rejection and it talked about, um, and I'm not to the extreme that this guy is, but he walked into every vulnerable situation saying, I'm going to get rejected. Let's go get rejected right now. Mm -hmm. And he used that as his goal. So it made him a lot more comfortable with it. So I'm not at that point, but I like to think about that too. So what have you learned about yourself from going on so many dates with strangers? Like you must have learned so much about what you want in a relationship or just more about like who you are. I feel... Well, this is another thing I feel like I'm going to talk so much about my tarot card reader in this. <laughs> I promise I'm not like that much of a hippie, but my tarot card reader said to me, you need to remember that almost anybody can be your partner if you let them. Hmm. And that's really interesting to me because I'm quite picky. You know, if he doesn't have this or he doesn't have that, then he's, he can't like fit the bill. But I think the thing that I've learned the most is that the priority in any relationship that you have has to be that connection that you have with them. It mm-hmm. has to be like that spark, that whatever. Even if they aren't the height that you want them to be, or um, if they don't have the job that you think would be the perfect job for your partner or whatever it is. It's like, if you have that connection with them, you can make almost anything work. I like that. Um, what advice would you give to somebody who's getting over a breakup? My um, recommendation is to go on at least three dates, like three random dates, three maybe random Tinder matches, or just if you date in other ways, I don't know how you do that, (laughs) Um, but like three people that you can go on casual dates with, not to start a relationship again, not to um, sleep with them even, just to get yourself used to talking to people. Um, I think that it not only helps your, not ego, what is the word I'm looking for? Confidence? Yes. (laughs) I think that it helps your confidence. 
Um, Because going through a breakup, you just feel like maybe no one's ever going to love you again or something. Mm -hmm. And then when you go on three dates, you're like, ah, these three people could totally love me, maybe. Maybe. (laughs) Or maybe two out of three, or maybe one (laughs) out of three. But at least one of them will. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. Um, So you talked about working remotely. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of one of the reasons why you were even able to move to Calgary. What's it like working at a company where you're not a mental health advocate 24-7. Love that question. Has that affected your mental health? Has it been good for your mental health? I think it is good for my mental health not to be talking about mental health all the time. I don't know if you find the same thing, but... (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it totally is. Um, Shopify is like a very mental health positive um, company for sure. But when I worked for Wear Your Label, it was like constantly like wearing my mental health on my sleeve almost like talking to people all the time about my mental health or their mental health or the stigma around mental health. And it was like, I lived in like this mental health bubble mm-hmm. where that was the only thing I thought about and only thing I, you know, cared about. And it's been really nice to just take a step back and not make that a priority. Well, my mental health is still a priority in my life, but not mental health doesn't you define know. you. It doesn't define me. Yes. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. It's, it's wild. Cause I definitely feel the same way in that it's a breath of fresh air to be doing work every day that isn't intrinsically connected to your personal mental health story. Mm-hmm. But I think it's, it's also, it's made my mental health so much better. Mm-hmm because I do get to step back from it and I'm able to put more time genuinely into my own self-care versus always being in that mental health headspace. I don't know. It's hard to explain, but I think like a lot of advocates feel this way. Like there's been a lot of people that I've interviewed or friends or people that we used to work with that get really overwhelmed with talking about mental health all the time. And it's really hard work to be an advocate, but it makes me really happy that you're happy as well. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. The thing about being a mental health advocate that's really tricky is that you go around and you tell people, your mental health does not define you. But then at the same time, when you live that lifestyle, it literally is defining you. Like you meet people and you're like, hi, I'm Addie. I have anxiety. But it doesn't define me, <laughs> even though I just me. introduced myself that way. Yeah, because yeah. It's, the, it's like a big tenant of your identity when it's a part of your job in that way. Yeah. In interviews that like you've done before, you've talked about how it's weird being a mental health advocate in like certain situations. Mm-hmm. Like it's weird to talk to like a room full of corporate men mm-hmm. about having an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. When you left Where You Label, did you find that you were a little scared that like someone that you were working with now might find out about your past or <laughs> something? Um, yeah, I mean, the funny thing is like, I can't really escape it. Like if you Google my name, basically everything that comes up is like my wee day talk about mental health and where you're labeled mm-hmm. or like YouTube videos about my mental health or blog posts or whatever. So it's like, if somebody Googles me, they are going to know exactly who I am and like everything to do with my mental health. Yeah. I had one, it's never happened with a job where somebody is like, oh, put off by it. But the one time that it's been like kind of funny and awkward was a couple weeks into dating this guy where he, I met him in Montreal. He had no idea about like who I was before I moved there. He literally just knew me as like Kaylee, this freelance girl who just moved to Montreal. And we were like watching YouTube videos one night or something. And I think 
it must have come up on recommended or it like somehow came up in the conversation that he put my name into the YouTube search and like watched my Wee Day video and he turned to me and he was like, oh, like you're like famous. (laughs) And I was like, ah, yeah, like you don't have to watch that. Like it's really personal. Like it might like, you know, ruin the mood. I don't know. (laughs) I was like, I'm not really famous. Just like in the mental health world. Like I have a big backstory that you don't really know about. And he's like, okay, so tell me. Um, So that was kind of like an awkward thing because it was like, oh yeah, there's this huge part of my life that's on the internet that's really personal that it usually doesn't even come up within the first couple weeks of dating somebody, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Um, But other than that, everything's been pretty peachy. Yeah. It's interesting because I find it's weird with dating too because now that I don't work for a mental health company it's like been kind of like a weird thing Mm -hmm. but now with dating what I do is I try and mention it on the first date because what do you say um well they usually ask me like what I do in my spare time and I'm like oh I paint and I model and then I'm also like a mental health speaker and they go oh (laughs) why (laughs) I'm like oh I have anxiety disorders and like I was suicidal a little bit growing up and it's like kind of this thing I try to like kind of brush off yeah 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 but the thing is like if they can't handle that then you gotta go. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, I think with this guy, I had definitely told him that I had an eating disorder because it was right around when I went back home and I was like living at home for three months. And we were talking, he was like, so why are you not living in Montreal when you live in Montreal? (laughs) And I was like, oh yeah, I just had like a really big depressive episode and had to move home with my parents, but I'll be back. (laughs) Don't worry about it. So it it definitely like came up in conversation, but then there's like the whole backstory of like, yeah. And then I co-founded a company all around mental health. The thing is though, that you have to remember is that like, we literally wear our struggles like on our sleeve. It's in a Google search. But they have gone through, like, hard times to the same probably equivalent or close to, mm-hmm. and they just don't talk about it. It's like, very true. everybody has their thing. Yeah. The thing that, like, broke their heart or, like, gave them a mental breakdown or, you know, was that really hard thing that they went through. Yeah. Everybody has that. I want to talk about this thing that you did recently. You went 30 days sugar-free. Oh, yeah. Which, <laughs> like, you looked it? at me really nervously, yeah. Um, yeah, what things are you doing, Addie? <laughs> you went 30 days sugar-free, mm-hmm. which I think would be really difficult because literally everything has sugar in it. Just about, so, yeah. why'd you do it and how did it turn out? Yeah, so I'm very into self-improvement stuff. And last year I did six months sober. So there was no coffee, there was no alcohol, nothing. And one of my point, one of my friends pointed out to me that sugar is a drug. And he was like, you know, you should really cut out sugar because sugar is the the worst drug. And I was like, okay, that's a good point. Not going to do it, but thanks. (laughs) And then I realized that when I cut out caffeine and alcohol that it really did improve my mental health. Mm. I wasn't as anxious anymore. I didn't have, um, when I was hungover, I'd be having panic attacks, like, more, probably twice as likely. So I thought, I wonder if removing sugar from my diet would improve my anxiety and make me kind of, like, overall more happy and healthy. So I set up to do 30 days. I ended up doing, like, 29 days because I got, like, some pretty bad news on day 29. 
Um, but yeah, it actually really did improve my mental health. Um, so I cut out all processed sugar and that includes regular sugar, like sugar cane. Um, it's pretty much in everything, but I wanted to do it to improve my own mental health and also because diabetes runs in my family. So I wanted to be more conscious of the sugar that I was intaking and, and where it is. So I pretty much just ate... Um, all whole foods, um, meat, dairy, fruits and vegetables, which is fine because like you get all of your nutrients from all those things anyway. Um, the first probably week and a half you go through a withdrawal, but you essentially are sad. You're sad for like a week and a half, or at least I was, I was really sad and I had like problems sleeping and I had problems getting off the couch and like going to the gym and stuff. So the first week and a half was really hard, but I kind of pushed through that. And after that happened, everything got so much better. I Hmm. barely had any anxious moments. Because I have social anxiety, I get really nervous to leave the house sometimes. And when I started doing this, I lost that completely. Um, Yeah, it was like so, so good. But it's so hard. I think I use food as a vice a lot of the time. Like Hmm. when I did my six months sober, one of my friends was like, oh my God, I can't believe you're, you're doing this. Um, I couldn't go a week without a beer kind of thing. And I said, oh, but it's not like I'm cutting out pizza. (laughs) And then I did this and I had to cut out pizza. Um, So this one is definitely the hardest one that I've, that I've done, but it was very, very worth it. Hmm. It's impressive that you power through that first week and a half because I, actually I was talking to my mom about, not about cutting out food, but this is with like any big change like I'm always trying new things for my acne Mm. and my mom works like at a beauty counter basically so she was saying people always try something new for like a week or two weeks and it always gets worse in the first Mm. week or two weeks but then after that it gets a lot better so she was like you need to be trying this product but if you try something new you have to try it for at least like 30 days because you won't actually know until that happens so you kind of self-imposed these rules yeah. on yourself to do for 30 days. I don't really talk super openly about this, but I don't have a really healthy relationship with food. I like definitely eat my feelings a lot and I have um, irritable bowel syndrome too, which is like a super sexy Fine. disorder to talk about. <laughs> um, but essentially before I did the 30 days sugar-free, I had diarrhea for three months straight. Wow. Yeah. That's a personal fact. <laughs> <laughs> Now the internet knows. Now the internet knows. Um, so I started taking apple cider vinegar shots, right? Which um, taste awful, but they do really help, especially if you. I don't know if every IBS case is the same, but from mine, it affects like the acidic levels in your stomach. So then, mm. taking an apple cider vinegar shot can help with that because it's like mm. helps even it out. Um, so that's what I was taking. Again, it was tasting awful, but then I did this 30 days without sugar and it cleared everything up. Like mm. I was regular. Yeah. Um, I had no, a, a lot of the time with IBS too, you get like really bad cramps and it's quite uncomfortable and it all cleared up. So it was like fixed everything in my life. But then I was like, mm, pizza. I don't <laughs> yeah, know. Right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned day 29 yeah. that something happened in your life that you didn't want to keep going with this particularly. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, One of my childhood best friends died. And again, I use food as like my vice. And I was like, you know what? It's been a rough couple days. I'm going to order a pizza. And that's what I did. And I don't (laughs) think there's anything wrong with that. Exactly. 
Um, grieving is super weird. Like some days you have really awesome days and you don't think about it and it's fine. And then other days, like you will cry the whole day and it Mm. might be like a month after it happened or a year after it happened probably too. Um, but grieving is like, you can't really control how you feel during it. And that was like what I needed to do at the time to do it. I might do another 30 day sugar cleanse and see how it goes. Cause it did, like I said, fix everything in my life for the most part. Earlier today, when I came over, you showed me a list that you made, which I thought was so cute, but also really helpful. A grieving list. Yeah. So it's this little list that I made and it says to be happy at the top. When I lost my friend, I realized that I was going to have those bad days Mm -hmm. from time to time going on. So I just decided to make a list of things that I can do that'll help me feel better and like make me happy pretty much. So on that list, I have exercise, um, eat vegetables, clean and change your sheets. And clean is like clean my apartment. (laughs) Um, Call family or friends, go for a walk, paint or write. And then at the bottom, I wrote a list of uh, people that I can call pretty much like at the drop of a hat. And I know they'll pick up. I think that is such a simple but effective tool. Like literally the simplest thing you could do. Make a list of things that make you happy. Yeah. But when you are in that super low place, it's like you don't even want to think about doing anything for self-care. You just want to sit and... Be sad. Be sad. Exactly. So having something like that you know, oh, okay, I'm literally just going to check something off of this to-do list. (laughs) Something that's going to make me happy. I love that. I think that's one of the best things about being a mental health advocate is you're, you're super aware of mm. yourself, more aware than I, than I was before it. I, I don't know if you feel the same way, but there's almost like this fine line. <laughs> and before you're a mental health advocate, you don't share anything about your feelings. <laughs> like you don't want anybody to know no, that you yeah. are a human being with emotions. Yeah. And then you become a mental health advocate and you just like dip your toe in the water. And like, I'm going to tell somebody that I have an anxiety disorder. And then all of a sudden you're just like swimming and you're like... <laughs> The world knows everything about yeah. me. <laughs> I'm going to share everything I have about my life. Like, there's no filter anymore. And I yeah. feel like that's, like, the point I'm at. So, for me, like, the best thing about that is, like, the self-awareness that comes with it. Mm-hmm. One thing that I found really difficult, and that I still find challenging, is knowing what to say to other people that are in a really low situation Mm. and you would think that as somebody who has spoken openly about their experiences for a long time many years now (laughs) um, and who has gone through speaker trainings and worked with nonprofit organizations that it would be easier to know exactly how to comfort someone who's going through a rough time. Mm. But I think when I really realized this was like when you called me after your friend had passed Mm. and I was walking downtown on the phone with you and I was like, I literally don't know what to say. Like, I literally... Because I know that nothing I say is actually going to help this situation. That's hard. Do you find that, too? Oh, yeah, for sure. And sometimes, like, for me, I just wanted to, like, vent and get everything out. And that was, like, the purpose I needed Mm. for you on that call. And then Mm. other times, it might be like, I'm really sad, so I'm going to call this person to hear about their life because... I, I don't want to think about like mm. what's going on right now and that sort yeah. of thing too. It's a fine line between 
wanting to give advice if you've been in a similar situation, being like, oh, this is how I handled something, but then also realizing that every person goes through every situation in such a different way and people cope in different ways and take care of themselves in different ways. And so even if you say something that's worked for you, it could be something that is harmful for that person or like true. that that person doesn't even want to hear. Like, for example, like working out, not mm-hmm. that that is generally harmful for people, but it could be triggering for somebody. That's like true, yeah. it could be something that somebody has a bad experience with. So I always, yeah, sit on that fine line between like, wanting to share what has been helpful for me, but also realizing that my experiences are mine. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and that it could be totally different for somebody else. And I found that a lot when I was doing the, the 30 days sugar-free-ness because I was really nervous posting about it because I know that a lot of people who follow me lived with mental health struggles and a, I'm sure like a portion of that live with eating disorders too. Mm-hmm. So I was really cautious of that when I was going about it because I didn't want to talk about the foods that I was cutting out. Mm-hmm. So I thought that might be triggering, but I did think it was important to talk about it because it was something I was doing to better my own mental health too. And that's kind of like the disclaimer that I give everybody. I had a lot of people reaching out saying, oh, do you think I should do this? Mm. And my answer is always, well, it worked for me, but that doesn't mean it's going to work for you. I think it's the same thing when, you know, someone gets diagnosed with depression. Some people Mm -hmm. need medication. Some people need therapy. Some people need, like, a variety of things, like an environment change or, you know, a lifestyle change or something like that. So it's kind of the same thing. It's like, you can try it, but see if it works for you. Then you go, okay, maybe that's not for me. Hmm. Maybe that is for me. Okay, so before we started and before we finished the episode... Uh, we asked if anybody had questions as this was a follow-up episode and a lot of my followers know you, Addie, obviously, because we work together and we're (laughs) friends. So one of the questions I thought was really good, it's kind of two parts. It says, for somebody who wants to start fresh, how do you bring up the whole I'm moving far away thing to your family and (laughs) friends? Um, As soon as I graduated high school, I told my parents I was moving away. It took me about... I'm going to say like seven years to actually get up and do it. Um, But when I decided I was going to move to Calgary, I pretty much just told my parents, hey, I'm trying to move to Calgary and I'm getting approved for work. So we'll see what happens. So they were kind of semi-prepared for it going into it. Um, And I think that's kind of a good way to bring it up to your parents or to your family. It's just by, oh, you know, I applied for a job here, or I'm looking at apartments here. We'll see what happens. And because mm-hmm. it takes a while for that to get approved, like a month mm-hmm. or so. And so they kind of like always had an idea that you weren't going to stay in Ormukdo or Fredericton forever. Yes, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> and we moved a lot growing up too. So it wasn't super weird for my family. Right. The big thing to my mom was that I come home for Christmas. Mm, so she was yeah. like, you can go anywhere as long as you come home for Christmas. Aww. So. The second part to that question is, how do you handle big moves far away from your family and friends? Do you have any tips for like self-care, like managing that anxiety or that sadness once you've moved, that homesickness? Oh, yeah. I think the, the best thing that I did was that I prepared myself for feeling that way. Because mm. you're kind of almost high like on life. When you move across the country, you're like, oh my god, I just did it. Look at me. I'm amazing. And then you hit this wall and you're like, wow, I'm super alone. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think the best thing I did was prepare myself for it. But then also scheduling FaceTime is like the best. Put it in a calendar, make a date where you can like FaceTime one of your friends and then do it. Cause that's like the closest you think you can get to, to being, being with them. Yeah. How about you? 
How about me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Did your parents know that you were thinking about moving to New Brunswick, like when you moved for school? When I moved for school, well, they knew that I applied to schools all across the country and none of them were in Alberta because <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to get far away from Alberta. Um, growing up in a small town, I think that is a really common feeling for people. For me, it was like, okay, as soon as humanly possible, I'm going to be across the country. (laughs) So they were also familiar with the degree program that I applied to at UNB because it is one of the only places in the country that you can take the program. So that was also like another excuse for me. It was like, I can only get this degree at UNB of all places. So they kind of accepted that I was moving that far away. Um, And then when I moved from Fredericton to Montreal, I had been living with my boyfriend for two-ish years, and I kind of decided, not on a whim, like we'd been talking for a while about leaving Fredericton, um, but nothing just ever happened, Mm -hmm. and then... I went through like a semi-crisis where I just felt like I needed to get out of that city. I needed a big change and he could either come with me or not. And he couldn't come because of his job. So I was like, okay, well then I'm going to move in basically a month. That's so ballsy. So yeah, it was a really big decision. It was really sad at the time because we were obviously like pretty serious but everything happens for a reason and it all worked out obviously within the first few months of moving to Montreal I was like what the heck have I done like why am I here none of my friends are here my boyfriend's not here my family's not here I don't have a job here like nothing um like you said like it's a lot of just like preparation beforehand knowing that you're gonna feel that way no matter where you go Uh, I didn't really prepare for that, so I just went home to see my family, and I was like, okay, mom and dad, I'm just gonna stay here for a while until I, like, fully recoup and I'm mentally ready to, like, deal with life again, and then I went back, and it's been really fun ever since, but yeah, it's, I'm really excited to move back because I haven't been here for seven years, so it's gonna be a, a big change. What is, like, a big lesson that you've learned since December? There's this phrase that's, like, on every t-shirt nowadays, but it just says, no bad days. And I feel like that's been, like, one of the lessons that I've learned. Take a risk. Be scared. Be vulnerable. There's not going to be a bad day. Whatever you do, there's going to be something good in it. Like, if you have a negative mindset going to something, you're going to have a negative time. But if you have a positive, open-minded idea of what's going to happen, then even terrible things could happen, and you're not going to be phased by it. So just go into everything with a positive attitude. I think it's the lesson. (laughs) That's good. Okay, that's what I want to end on. 